Welcome to this episode of Zero to One Million. We are here with Courage JD, who is a YouTube streamer as well as a YouTuber. Um, we're going to get to know him today. Wow. Thank you for having me. This is incredible. <laughs> He's also my boyfriend. I made it. Yep. So very, very, very special guest. Um, the first YouTube streamer we've had on the podcast. So we're going to dive into how that's a little bit different as well as the pain that it sometimes can be to be a YouTuber because I've been able to witness a lot of pain over the years. You know, when I mentioned to my friends I was coming here, um, my friend, Nick, you, you know, Nick and, and Vega, mm -hmm. um, they were like, oh, is that the podcast Maddie's doing with Valide? And Andrew's like, I'm still mad because I called Waleed Waylid <laughs> for the first like few times I met him and he didn't correct me until like way too late. So uh, thank you for having me, Waylid and Maddie. It's a great <laughs> honor to be here. Of course, we're glad to have you. And the way we kick off all the shows, we want you to brag for 60 seconds about yourself. Because that's oh, the best icebreaker. God. And we are going to time you. I mean, I don't so know. full shameless brag. No, I know you're good at it. And Maddie will help you. Only 60 you. seconds. Only <laughs> All right, ready? You ready? All right, okay. go. Go. Hi, my name is Jack Courage Dunlop. I do YouTube streaming and content creation across all different social medias. I have been a full-time content creator now for four and a half years, five years in March. I am a co-owner in 100 Thieves as well as an angel investor in a few different uh, technology-based businesses, especially with a gaming focus. I have... 15 million followers across social media. I've lost 20 pounds in the last few months and I've been dating Maddie for the last three years and three months and I uh, pay her a handsome rate to date me and talk to me. So <laughs> overall, um, uh, yeah, I play a lot of video games and I'm better than you at Fortnite and I still have 17 seconds to spare. So I'm going to void my next 12 seconds so we can move on because I did it all. Anything to add, Maddie? No, he definitely uh, summed it up. Very humble, very humble. And I'm a proud dog dad. He is. We're going to talk about Kaya a lot on the next episode. Good. But Kaya is our dog. She's six pounds and the best dog ever. Yeah. I'm not afraid to say it. Um, okay, let's talk about how you got started. I was telling Walid a little bit about your past, about how much you loved video games, and then let's talk about your first step to turning gaming into a career. Awesome. Yeah, no, I mean, gaming was always a center of my my life. Growing up, I was one of the younger cousins in my extended family. So I would watch all my older cousins play games and they would tell me I'm playing with them on my grandma's Super Nintendo. Meanwhile, I just had an unplugged controller. And shout out my cousin, Andrew and Dennis, cousins, Andrew and Dennis. And you know, that was all the way back at the age of four. And then I got my first Nintendo 64. And from there, you know, my life changed a trajectory where gaming became kind of one of the crown jewels of, of what I do. Made all my best friends in high school around it. Would have lands in my house where everyone brings over What's their Xboxes. Land? I was getting into the explanation of that. <laughs> a land is where everyone brings over their Xboxes and we all play on the same network um, and battle it out or go online and face other teams and try to be the best we can be, especially back then in Call of Duty, uh, Modern Warfare 2 was what we mainly played. 
And then from there, wound up getting a bit into video editing. I was going to school for uh, uh, media and film at Towson University in Maryland. And thankfully, I was able to meet some people in Major League Gaming. They gave me my first opportunity as a video, unpaid video intern. Then I got an opportunity to be on camera. That then led to me getting my first commentating opportunity. And then I started streaming on the side. And that's kind of where uh, my, my career then took off. Can you explain what commentating is? Because we know it in the traditional sports sense, but what does it mean for esports? Yeah, uh, it's it's very similar to watching Joe Buck, let's say, commentate a game on on Fox. They give the play-by-play coverage or the analytical breakdown to help the viewer understand what's going on or add hype and energy to the moment, whether it's tell the story of what's going on or further enhance the thought process of the players in the moment. A lot of that can be missed by viewers, and my job as a commentator was to shed light on that, tell the story of the broadcast, make sure that everyone at home was as locked in as possible, and that mainly I'm known for commentating Call of Duty and Fortnite. Did you always see yourself being on camera, or did it just fall into your lap? <sighs> you know, I, I, I don't think I always saw myself being on camera. When I first joined Major League Gaming, I was there as an unpaid video intern, and we did a show every day called the Esports Report, where we'd gather information around the world of esports and then do a one to two hour show surrounding that th- that topic. And uh, Chris Puckett, who was the only host at Major League Gaming at that time, who was the one that gave me my, my start, I owe it all to Chris. He was going to be out sick and we were going to have to cancel that show that day. All the work we had done for the last you know six, seven hours was going to be void. And I just kind of blurted out to the producer and director, I think I can do it. And I remember being in the little control room then, which had to admit about a fourth of the size of this room. And wound up posting that day by myself and then went on to host the show another like 30, 40 days until I went back to school. And that's kind of how I got my start on camera. Well, at what point did you realize you can quit your full-time job to pursue this full-time? Thankfully... It wasn't as much of a, I guess, a leap as some might make when going into this. I'm someone who tries to be more calculated in my decisions and don't like to take too big of a risk. I like a risk here and there, but I like to know that I'm taking that risk with a lot of calculations behind my decision. Mm-hmm. And as I started to grow as a streamer in Call of Duty and as a commentator in Call of Duty, Fortnite had come out. And I began to fall in love with that game and saw the upwards trajectory. It was not only bringing me, but thousands of other creators. And it seemed like nothing was going to stop the game. And at that time, we were commentating a game called Call of Duty World War II, which, in my opinion, was one of the worst Call of Duties uh, in history. So I just didn't have love for the game. It was very dreary. Couldn't have been a more polar opposite game to Fortnite, which is colorful, inviting, free-to-play, new And everything about the Call of Duty game just felt old and I guess the word I'll describe is musty. (laughs) And with that, I was streaming more and more and an organization, Optic Gaming, gave me an opportunity to move to Texas, be part of their organization, stream and create content for them, but then obviously stream on my channels and build my following. And they offered to pay for my move, give me health insurance, dental insurance, pay my full major league gaming salary like equivalent. And so for me, that was a no brainer. The hardest part of that decision was leaving my best buddy, uh, Maven, who was my co-commentator 
and roommate in New York, but thankfully it paid off. Mm -hmm. And what kind of things helped you launch your career as a streamer? Did you have any hacks or growth tips? Yeah, I think the biggest things that every streamer knows is community is everything, especially when you're starting. When you're trying to bring in viewers to stay tuned in to watch a broadcast that you give day in and day out, it's way different from watching a YouTube video where YouTube comments just kind of feel like a bunch of people giving input to the, to the video and, and, and the video creator. Stream chat is way more like, hey, Maddie, oh, Maddie's in the chat, hi. And then a bunch of other people who are in every day say, hi, Maddie, you know, oh, how you doing? Oh, they now then become friends on Twitter and, and, and Discord and start gaming together. And that core of that community is all about slowly growing and growing and growing. And thankfully, I had already been cultivating and harvesting that community for the last few years that when I announced I was going full-time, that community that had now grown to probably about a thousand subs on Twitch, which is already a few thousand dollars a month, really backed me and my sub growth exploded, which gave me the the confidence I needed to, to take that leap and knew it was the right decision. But from a growth hack perspective, what was really key was kind of using the trickle down effect. When I first started streaming, the hardest part of streaming is going from zero viewers to 10 viewers. And I had already had about 15,000 followers from being a commentator in Call of Duty. So I then leveraged that following to my Twitch stream and would use my other platforms to promote it. And my first broadcast, I had about 20, 25 viewers. And that was already like putting me in the top 1% of, of you know, new broadcasters, which was a huge, huge help and a big reason why I was able to be successful. So making sure to, you know, I know you guys have a lot of TikTokers that come on the show and creators from all sorts of different platforms. It's key to recognize that while another platform uh, may not be the most personally exciting to you or may seem like a daunting task to begin creating content on there or learning that platform, it's really key to go and invest the time and even the money to start. And mm -hmm. that's what I did when I hired my YouTube editor, Swappa, who's been my right-hand man. And um, it's always paid off. How did you integrate yourself? Uh, can I give a tip here as a podcast host myself? Uh, the microphone isn't directly pointed at you right now. Make sure to, just like Walid and I have it. Perfect. Guys. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. How did you integrate yourself into kind of the friend group of Tim and Ninja and use that and their platforms to propel yourself forward? Well, one of the biggest parts of being a streamer is collaborating. We see it with groups like Offline TV, part of what 100 Thieves is, uh, and many, many other groups out there, FaZe Clan with their old house and everything along those lines. It's all about creating a friend group and an ecosystem where everyone knows your inside jokes, and it's all part of building that community that I mentioned. And I had been a fan of Ninja since the Halo days, Halo Reach, and his competing days. Would watch him on H1Z1 and in many other games before Fortnite. Because Ninja had been streaming for years and years before that blow up. And as someone who was just a big fan of him, uh, it became a bit more of a seamless transition to becoming friends with him, I think, because he already had known of who I am. We had already had multiple run-ins in the past. And so when the opportunity came up to game together, I think we just have a great rapport. We know how to bounce jokes off each other. We're both very similar where 
we can dish it out and take it, which I think is really key. And our our our, our group of Ninja, Tim the Tabman, Dr. Lupo, and I really began to flourish. And our communities loved our, our banter and always found a safe space in all of our streams. And part of collaborating is when other streamers go offline, you know, they send love to you and vice versa. And thankfully, Tim Lupo and, and Tyler were always so generous to me and hosting me and showing love to my channel because they believed in me as, a, as an up and coming creator, I'd like to think. And as and as of now becoming a good friend, my big break with Fortnite casting and with my friendship with them was Ninja did an event called Ninja Vegas, which was really the first time we had ever seen competitive Fortnite at a, at a LAN event where everyone's together in one location. And no one really knew what to expect, but it had about 650,000 or 680,000 viewers on his Twitch stream. And it was absolutely mind-blowing. But thankfully from my commentating prowess in Call of Duty and the incredible wit and commentary ability that was yet to be seen from Dr. Lupo, it kind of just worked out perfectly where Ninja had asked us to commentate his event. And Dr. Lupo and I became what to this day, in my opinion, I guess I'm biased in saying that I think we're still the best Fortnite commentating duo that there's ever been. And uh, that's what launched launched our, our friendship really was that Ninja Vegas event. Mm -hmm. And I see friend groups kind of thrive everywhere. Like in music, there's Young Money. Um, a long time ago on YouTube, there was like a collab channel called O2L, Our Second Life. There's Hype House. Is there anything different about being like a streaming creator versus these other platforms? Every Every group is different, right? I think the biggest thing for us was we just always knew, hey, we'll be online every day. Streaming is such a regiment-based thing that it's, hey, here's my schedule. 9 to 2 p.m. would, would be like a morning stream for, for Ninja and Lupo and Tim. And then they would take a few hours break, hang out with their wives and, and family. And then they'd go live again at night. That was all their schedules for that first year of Fortnite. Whereas I was one stream, but a longer stream. So I would go live at like 11 a.m. and stream till 7 or 8 p.m. when they'd then hop back on. And it was always this feeling of one of us was always live. And I think that's what a lot of the bigger successful streaming groups do. Is that one of them is all, someone's always live for that community to be supporting and be behind. We saw it with the Dream SMP. What they did a great job of was Dream SMP is a Minecraft group, one of the biggest Minecraft groups in the world. And they did a great job of telling this story in their Minecraft server, but they always did it in for what streaming is. An hour and a half stream is a pretty short stream for most people, but they made them such event-based streams that part one of the story might be in Tubbo's stream, but then part two of the story would be in Carl Jacobs' stream. So then they would have a hundred something thousand viewers on Tubbo's stream. And they'd say, all right, keep up with us on Carl's stream. And then he'd host Carl. Everyone would go to Carl. Carl would then find success. And then part three would be the next day on George Not Found's stream. So it was all always about the idea of a rising tide raises all ships. And I think that that was a large part of the success of our group was we knew let's retweet each other's uh, Twitter clips. Let's always comment on each other's Instagram posts. Let's always tag each other in the YouTube videos because as long as the eyes are staying on us for, you know, one day it might be you get more views or you get more views, but guess what? It'll always come back in the end and benefit us all. 
That's so fun. Teamwork makes the dream work. Oh yeah, absolutely. And it was someone, it was a group too that, you know, when events would come up, our age, we were all rep by the same agency at the time. So they would then be able to pitch all four of us for sponsor opportunities. And I think it just really helped us all go from the streamers and creators we were to, which is crazy to say, but kind of sent everyone into the stratosphere in, in, in the streaming space, especially uh, Ninja Lupo and, and Tim. Mm -hmm. What does it take to be a streamer and how is it different than a diff like another type of social media creator? It's a great question. I think the biggest thing for a streamer is that you, you're always on. Other forms of content are highly edited and curated and you are in great control of what's get, what gets put out. When you're a streamer and you hit start streaming, it's live. You know, you you slip up. There's no edits. You kind of got. You're gonna have some days that are rough. You're gonna have some days that are great. It's very momentum based, in my opinion. That's why even in the last eleven days, I've been live so consistently, and I've seen my viewer count slowly tick up in those eleven days because it just becomes part of people's daily routine. And. Also, it's, it's a bit of a mental toll. I think one of the more unique and tough situations that I've talked about this, I talked about this on um, uh, my friend Brett and Todd's podcast is the amount of people that I've had come into my stream and share the highest of high moments that, oh, we just had a baby. We just got married. I just got in a relationship. I just got in the school of my dreams. Great. It's such a great moment for the, and energy for the stream. But then at the same time, you know, I, they're spending hours of their day with me day in and day out that the loss of a loved one when they're going through a tough time and are feeling suicidal, they're coming and sharing that with me. And that that weighs a heavy toll and, a, and, a, and it's definitely a mental burden where there's moments where someone comes in and said, this is my last day. Um, you know, I'm ending it all and we can only do so much from sharing resources and me trying to shine some light on them. But there's a lot of times where I don't know what's happened with that person. And I think that that's taken more of a mental toll on me at times than I can realize. Um, but at the end of the day, I know that there's been so much positive that's come from our community together and a lot of bright light that it uh, it's something I, I love. I still love streaming so much, especially when I love the game that I'm, I'm playing. So I think that a lot of people who think, oh, streaming's this big, crazy thing. I got to get involved in it. And they've never streamed before. I think for a lot of creators, it's a wake-up call. Like, whoa, this isn't what I'm used to. And it's definitely not for everybody. Mm -hmm. What are some of the ways you take care of your mental health and like give yourself breaks? Um, I drink a lot of alcohol. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, it goes in waves. Thankfully, I've had I've done therapy on and off in the last few years of my life. I've worked out on and off in the last few years of my life. Right now, I'm going through a great workout and weight loss um, stint, which has been really helpful to my mental health. Uh, doing things with friends to take your, you know, take your mind off of it. Take just taking breaks in general can go a long way. Playing what you want versus what gets the most views can really help your mental state as well. But I would be lying if I said that there is like a clear cut way to keep yourself in a great mental state. I think happiness is fleeting and it's unreasonable to expect every day to be fantastic. And I think that's one of the more plaguing sides of social media is 
again, on Instagram, you can only share your best moments or, you know, many people only share their best moments or on TikTok or everywhere that it can cause a lot of mental harm that I don't think people realize or have yet to see, realize, uh, have yet to realize themselves of just how bad it can be endlessly scrolling. And I've come to terms with that a lot. I've done a, a better job of not comparing myself to others as much. And then I also have tried to use my platform to share when my anxiety is spiked, which helps me because my community then shares how, wow, this is helping me. But then also I know what you're going through and I feel like, wow, you know, I'm not alone in this. And then I'll also share when numbers are down because that's the truth of it is, you know, I know my views aren't as high as they've been right now, but Maddie knows it goes up and down and she's absolutely logged my highs and, and my lows. So uh, it's all part of the, the fun part of being an online creator. It feels like it, it's, it, it goes up and down like a roller coaster. So I want to talk about that up and down because that's something that has even like impacted me, not in the sense that it really impacts my mood, but just been one of the most eye-opening parts of how extreme um, basically the consequences can be. So for background, I keep a note app in my phone that basically dates and logs Jack's emotional states because <laughs> it it's hard when you're in it. It's hard for him to take a step back and see, okay, you know what? The world isn't actually ending because he'll literally be in a national TV commercial feel on top of the world and then the next day he's going to post a youtube video that mm. ends up not performing mm. how Damn. yeah no it becomes that. i mean his 10 out of 10 days are not good and again to explain youtube has a ranking of views within the first 24 hours so it gives it a one all the way to 10 so when you get a 10 out of 10 that means people are not watching your videos like they watched all the others. How have you learned to get better at grounding yourself? Because it has gotten better in recent time, I think after I kind of beat you over the head enough times with this note log. She physically hits me. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's definitely not been easy to find that and recognize that, hey, it's not all going to go away. You know, as someone that suffers from anxiety – my anxiety comes in the form of like, a, you know, doomsday thoughts of no one's going to watch me tomorrow, especially when I was first starting off. I was like, oh, this is, it could all go away tomorrow. I very much try to make sure that the money I'm earning and the success that I've been very blessed to have is going to last me the rest of my life because all oh, this could all end tomorrow. And I need to make sure that the things I'm doing now can take care of me and my family for years to come. Whereas now I've, realize that I'm almost five years into this full time, which for many people is, that's like a crazy number to hit, like five years of full time and content creation. You know, someone could be a huge content creator one year and then two years later, you don't really hear of them anymore. And that could be for a multitude of reasons. So thankfully through all the ups and downs now, I've seen enough where it goes down, it comes back up. It might not always be at the top. It might not ever hit that bottom, you know, but it's not all just going to go away in one day. And I think the other part that's been a big help for me as well is 
just realizing that the team I have built around me, we're very good at adapting, or at least I like to think we're very good at adapting, which I think is the biggest strength that an online content creator can have, is being able to kind of shutter your ego and realize that these algorithms and the audience dictates what they're going to watch, that you just need to be willing to adapt to what's hot, what's changing with the algorithms and, you know, where you need to go next. And so that's why we're always trying to look forward instead of why isn't this getting the views it should? It's like, oh, well, how can we improve to how YouTube has changed now? How have you built out your team? You obviously invested in Swaba really, really early on. Yeah. But over the past year or so, you've built out that more analytical side to really dive in deep and figure out how these algorithms are working to kind of make yourself, uh, the, make the algorithm basically like you more. Like you start to figure yeah. out the ins and outs, the hacks. Yeah, there, there's so many things that, I've tried to learn and and the biggest help has been so many great creators wanting to bounce ideas off each other and share their secrets and vice versa. I think if anyone's watching this and is an up, up and coming creator and is thinking what their next move is, you know, there's a reason why every Instagram model makes a YouTube account. There's a reason why every TikToker wants to blow up on, on YouTube. You know, if I could take a million subscribe YouTube account that watches my long form videos, versus 10 million followers on TikTok, I would take a million YouTube subs on long form videos any day of the week. And, you know, for me, when I had just started going more serious into streaming and I was making the decision to go full-time, I knew I needed an editor that could grow with me, learn these things with me and give me the opportunity to be great at streaming while they handle the video stuff. So the, prior to me going full-time, I think I made $60 in a month off of YouTube. But I found this guy on, on social media, Swappa, who was making these really funny videos, these funny like meme videos that were always shared by me, Tim, Lupo, and Ninja, the friend group I mentioned earlier. Because he watched all of us. He just knew humor. And I could tell he knew what was funny. And so I just messaged him out of the blue. was like, yo, do you got a job? And he's like, nope. Like, you want to work with me? It's like, yeah. I'm like, I can't pay you much, but we can figure this out together. And I think at that time, I think I was maybe paying him $1,000 a month. And now he's like making easily over six figures. And he's just in some random place in the UK. Uh, he likes some really trash tier soccer team that's like tier four. <laughs> Those dudes, uh, you know, he just eats beans on toast every day and then makes YouTube videos. Love you. Love you, Sam. So... <laughs> You know, for me, finding that person to really be able to bounce ideas off of, be a creative visionary with me and help me do what I do best and help him handle what he does best. You know, it was a scary thought paying someone 15 times what I earned on YouTube the month prior. But the month later, we earned a bit more. The month later, we earned a bit more. The month later, and then next thing you know, I was like, oh, wow, this is now easily profitable. And we go from there. So for me, it was always about I would rather pay the premium to have the person who's great and the expert at what they do than try to spend all my time figuring that out myself. Even this setup here, I don't think you have much experience in setting up microphones and mic oh, arms and that cameras. Is and that is precisely why we are here. Exactly. So you guys said, you know what? It's more valuable to pay to be in a space that can 
help us get the quality we would want for our podcast, even if it is a loss up front to hopefully one day to help legitimize it one off the start, but then two to hopefully one day make it uh, a no brainer of why we're doing this. So for me, it's like, I don't, I haven't opened Adobe premiere in seven years since I was an intern at major league gaming, but we've uploaded uh 4,000 YouTube videos in that time. So, um, so you started with Swappa. Yep. How big is the team now and what do they do? So right now I have me, Swappa, Kevy, who runs my reaction channel or helps run the reaction channel. Another guy who we are now locking in as another full-time editor. My best friend, Vega, who you both know, obviously. Mm -hmm. He is my day one brother and is the jack of all trades. Right now he's a bit of a personal assistant plus video producer to help us with ideas and is overall just helpful because he's in LA. Swappa, Kevy, UK, the other editor, uh, US based somewhere. My mom, who I also pay full time, that's mainly for the benefit of my family, like keep the money in the family instead of it all going to taxes. But then also she has handled my will, my investments, my uh, taxes, my hire, my onboarding process, does all that. So I don't have to think about any of it. I want to make it so that I can just wake up, do what I need to do, stream. And then while I don't pay them directly, I very much view my management agency loaded as part of my team. You know, they take a percentage cut of the deals they bring me. And we've now worked together for over five years that uh, I couldn't do what I do without them either. So we are looking to expand a bit more. I think the next thing I would potentially want to hire is a creative director or COO to help maybe launch other product-based things. But as of right now, we're, we're, I'm taking it slow and steady, especially with the, this is going to be the first time the creator ecosystem has ever gone through a recession. Um, you know, 2008 was wait, it was too early. Now with the way the recession is advertisers pulling spending, I think a lot of creators are going to have a, a wake up call. Yeah, we talked about that last episode a little bit. And I was thinking, yes, the advertisers are going to pull dollars without a doubt. But do you think it's going to be a little bit of like a beginning a COVID thing where this is free entertainment for people? Do you think views are going to go up as they're not able to afford to do different types of things? Um, I would say no. I think that if the recession means anything, we'll see how much, how big it winds up being. But I think early 2023 is going to be pretty rough. I think more people are going to be, want to be working to be earning as much money as possible. Whereas at COVID, it was like everyone, there was a lot of jobs that were up in the air, but it was very much people at home with a lot of questions and they found entertainment and found video games and began consuming that content in different ways. I think for my end, I just mainly expect it to affect, you know, potentially ad rates, sponsored offers, uh, long-term sponsored deals that a lot of streamers have. Streamers are in a pretty unique boat where because you're always live and you have a rotating logo, you can have rotating stuff on your stream that, you know, I can sell putting someone's logo every 10 seconds on my stream in a rotating carousel. You know, I think that those are, are definitely slowing down a bit because they don't want to sign a year-long contract not knowing what the future holds. So for me, it's like I'd rather 
continue to run a profitable business, especially with a recession coming, then kind of go go too far into the deep and then be a bit more nervous on the way. Mm -hmm. And backtracking a little bit, you've created such an amazing team from the start. I have a lot of friends who are on TikTok, but they're trying to expand onto YouTube and build a team. Yeah. And they're not really sure how. So how do you pick apart like who should be on your team? Thankfully, with streaming, I've been able to build a group around me of moderators who moderate my chat, which is a free community-based role where many, a few of my moderators now who are just doing it for free and were great members of the community were the first people I thought of for these opportunities. So Kevy, who is always in my chat, he's now running my React channel. Abby, who is always in my chat, she's now at 100 Thieves as a community manager. Um, uh, and, and, and more, you know, there, there's more examples. So for me, that, that was a pretty unique scenario where these were people that were in my chat day in and day out. We're helping handle giveaways. We're helping distribute codes for games. And I never had to worry about trusting them because they always just did it. But when you are a TikToker or a YouTuber and you don't have that day in, day out seeing people in the chat, it absolutely is tougher. There's a YouTube guru named Patty Galloway who just started a, who has started a jobs website. It's like ytjobs.co, youtubejobs.co. And now it's become public that it's, you know, being run and is, is what it is. So I'm seeing many more creators use that as a way of finding YouTube people. Imagine like a job posting website, but instead of it being for all jobs, it's just YouTube based jobs. So I think that that's a great place to start, especially if you have the capital to invest in great creators off the bat, which I think a lot of TikTokers will need to do to make their videos be as great as they can be. But then also it's so different understanding what works on YouTube and how YouTube is than, than how TikTok is. Mm -hmm. So what are some of those big differences? You know, TikTok versus YouTube is TikTok is so short form based. And now YouTube is putting much more effort into shorts that if you are a TikTok creator and you're not uploading your TikToks to YouTube shorts, I think you're already, you know, putting yourself behind. I would be looking into, if I'm a TikToker, using my TikToks on shorts as well, using the fantastic analytics tools on YouTube shorts to see what is performing better on YouTube versus TikTok or ver worse for that matter. And then I would be creating long form videos that fill a similar that, that would be fulfilling to watch for a similar audience to the short form content you're making. So I know, for example, the guys at Hype House, um, a few of them do like the hype cars, like their car breakdown. If I was going to expand that on YouTube, I would upload the same short form car content that I was making on TikTok on YouTube shorts. But then on that same channel on YouTube, I would be then uploading maybe once a week a long form car video as maybe a car update or a breakdown of one individual car or the showing of a process that they made on going from this is how the car looked to adding this, 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 and this body kit and these wheels and that. And same goes for a, a food person on, on TikTok, a makeup guru, as you guys were talking about, is coming on next. So I think a lot of it is just looking at what audience you have on TikTok, see what transitions to YouTube shorts, and then thinking of those videos that perform well on your shorts 
if someone watches your short form video on YouTube, they have a higher chance of being recommended your long form videos. So then using the short form algorithm to propel your long form videos to being watched because that's the bread and that's where the real money begins to get made. Do you find that there's a higher production value for shorts or short form content that was created specifically only for YouTube? I don't watch YouTube shorts as much as I should or as much as I watch TikTok as of right now. Uh, for me, I don't know if I have the knowledge to speak on that 100%. If I had to guess, I would say, no, it's not necessarily like a higher production thing or anything like that. Like I think that the audience on TikTok is very similar to, let's say, an audience on YouTube. Uh, it's just you're just on two different apps. I would assume that if you have an audience for something on TikTok, I would assume that that same audience is somewhere out there on YouTube. Mm -hmm. And when many people talk about the algorithm and the algorithm showing this and that, you know, the algorithm is just the interests of people. Your, your, your for you page knows you better than you know you. You know, I see stuff pop up on my TikTok and I'm like, wow, why am I watching a cow's hoof being cleaned? I never knew I'd like that. And now I'm on my eighth one of the day. And that goes for YouTube content as well. YouTube will, YouTube used to only be the subscriptions box. You'd go on there, you'd click your subscriptions box and you'd watch whatever you're subscribed to. Well, now like 85 to 90% of the views I get on YouTube are from recommended and up next and browse. So I'm no longer appealing to my existing subscribers and only trying to appeal, not only, but much more focus is on appealing to people that would just see this on their homepage, which is now how everyone watches. Does that change anything? It absolutely changes Yeah, how many is things. your content pivoted? Talk about, you know, the research you guys have done to do stuff like the Sidemen videos. And yeah, you know, we've, we've done a lot of, it goes back to adapting is what I mentioned earlier. When you are looking at what's working for other creators, learning from the best in the space about what they're doing. There's a reason why Mr. B starts his videos instantly. You know, if he's giving away a private island, he's not starting with a minute long intro saying, thank you for this. It's like, boom, no, I'm giving away a private island. There's 50 contestants. Whoever survives the longest wins it. Let's go. And they're in challenge number one in six seconds. Back in the day, it used to be all about long intros and connecting with your audience because you're going to want them to feel tuned, you know, want to be tuning in tomorrow. You know, no, intros and outros are dead on YouTube. Thumbnails have changed. The approach has changed across the board. It's all about view duration versus, you know, I'd rather have a 30-minute video with a 15-minute watch time or a, an 8-minute video with a 75% watch time versus like a 15-minute video with like, 60%. And there's just because there's benefits, you know, YouTube very highly rewards a higher average duration or a very high watch time in minutes. So those are like our two goals. So for my end, back in the day, we would just upload daily because it was all about daily uploading, being consistent. You know, if I uploaded at 3 p.m. on Monday, I want to upload at 3 p.m. on Tuesday and Wednesday and every other day of the week for every day forever because I want people to know when 3 p.m. hits, they're watching my video. Whereas now... I'll upload, I try to upload at the same time, retry to upload at the same time every day just because it, it works with our schedule. But at the, 
for the most part, we just care about how the video will perform over time. So I would rather my video have a high watch percentage and a great view duration, but start slow and then pick up a few weeks later than a video that like bangs off the start, but isn't watched that long because we made it really clickbaity. So it like has a really high spike to start, but then no one engages with it after that. And then it just falls off. So it, it's done a lot of shifting, but I think for the most part, this is the most sense YouTube has ever made for me. What does your creative process look like? Cause I feel like you know so much about TikTok, YouTube, Twitch and all these platforms. And yeah. it's like very interesting you talk through this. Yeah. So how are you like, yeah, what is that process? You know, I, I must admit, I'm not the most creative person. Thankfully, Swappa takes on such a forward role with handling and helping ideate. I think that it's probably one of the weakest parts of me as a creator is my creative side. It's where my merchandise, part of why my merchandise has always been less than other creators, in my opinion, is that I don't even know where to begin with what I like and what I would think from apparel ideas. And same goes for certain things in regards to video ideation. Thankfully for me, we can make videos and I know Swap is gonna nail the creative side from a funny moments hits to having jokes pay off even more from his editing to the thumbnail and title part of it. I'm a bit more collaborative from a title and thumbnail because that's 50% of the video is, is that and the other 50% is the video content itself. But for the most part, we try to just focus on what I'm interested in doing because I'm going to be funnier and more energetic when I'm enjoying what I'm doing. And then I'll just be able to say, oh, clip that. that we got to put that up everywhere because I know that it's a crazy moment that'll resonate with an audience out there. And then Kevy will help make it into a great little social piece. And he'll give me a version that I post on Twitter and then they'll post on my Instagram and on my TikTok. And we're a bit more on the... Um, we're a bit more analytic on what we post on YouTube shorts. I would say with TikTok, we might post, you know, three or four times a week, whereas maybe, maybe a bit more even, whereas on shorts, we'll maybe post like once to twice a week because we really want that short to, you know, nail it and go and be a million view video. Mm -hmm. how, All sorry, right. Do you want to go? Let's talk about thumbnails because mm -hmm. you just said the thumbnail and the title is 50% of the video, which to most people probably doesn't make sense. Yeah. What do you know about thumbnails? Like what are your tips and tricks? Cause I've seen you go through so many iterations yeah, of so many things. No, absolutely. It's, you know, when you're watching on YouTube, I think one of the more interesting parts of YouTube versus every other social, oops, social platform. I'll buy you guys a new chair. Don't worry. Sorry. Um, Earthquake. Yeah, there you go is when you're on Instagram, you're seeing one post at a time for the most part. When you're on your feed or when you go to your explore page, you'll see a ton. You know, when I go to my explore page, which is either like Yankees, food, cars, you know, all you have is that little image to stand out versus everybody, everything else that's on there. And that's kind of what YouTube is always. You don't really see that as much on Twitch because it's only just like the name and how many viewers they have on your following feed. Um, you don't really have that on, on TikTok because it's just for you page, you're just scrolling. But on YouTube, you open the homepage and there's 30 videos right there. When you're in a video, there's the suggested videos on the right side and there's 
15 of those right there. So you need your title and thumbnail to stand out, be easily recognizable across desktop, TV watchers, you know, people that watch on their app on their TV, mobile watchers, iPad watchers. You know, I know that a, in the past, a, a title that's over 44 characters can begin to get truncated based off of a mobile viewer in their suggested feed uh, versus a homepage viewer, which might have 53 spots before it begins to get condensed. So for us, it's all about if we have 40 videos that someone who's into Fortnite, for example, can be seen, we need ours to stand out against those other 40. And so our title needs, needs to be straight to the point. Every word and character used needs to be you know, as optimized as possible. And it needs to immediately want someone to click and stay tuned in. So if our title is, you know, for example, Mogul Mail is Ludwig's kind of like, he he covers breaking news and gives his insight on other streamers, things happening in the community. Maybe someone gets in trouble for something, he'll give his thoughts on it. And he'll do a title that's basically why this, or this tweet costs $10 million. And then it'll be a picture of money on fire with the owner of this esports organization that posted about hanging out with Andrew Tate and thought he was all cool and shit, but then realized very quickly how hated that man is by many people because of the you know vitriol he can spew from his mouth. So that title, this tweet costs $10 million, I think it's a pretty gripping title. It's like, what? Because it quite literally did. So when you click on that video, Ludwig doesn't beat around the bush. He immediately gets right into how this tweet costs $10 million. And he's such a great storyteller and has all these links and things provided that he already has. And he just goes bang, bang, bang through it that he's not wasting your time. He's not clickbaiting you. This is a real thing. And his insight is unique to everybody else. So boom, it's, it's why the channel averages a million plus views a video. So we try to take that approach to what we do as well. Do you think clickbait titles are dying? Uh, I think clickbait titles are more harmful than maybe ever before to the sake of your channel. And what I mean by that is, again, it might have a lot of initial benefit, but when the audience then clicks it and sees it's bullshit, then they tune out faster. And by tuning out faster, YouTube's algorithm sees that as, whoa, this isn't resonating with audiences like it should. So it gets served a ton off the bat because of the high click-through rate. But then it falls off a cliff because it doesn't have the watch time to back it up. So I think from my end, you know, there's Cypher PK is a great YouTuber for Fortnite. He's been doing a lot more videos where it's like, uh, this is over or or why I got banned or something along those lines. But when you click in, there's a reason why it's that generic and maybe clickbaity of a title. And the video is still fantastic that it has a high watch time. So you're, you're kind of playing right on that edge that I think the best creators know how to do that the strongest without the audience seeing through it and being like, all right, we're out. I still remember the Kaya clickbait title. 
I got my girlfriend a dog, or what was yeah. it? I surprised so, my pu- girlfriend so with a puppy. Jack made the title, I surprised my girlfriend with a puppy. Um, I am the one that found said puppy. He didn't even want said puppy. And like, yeah, the viewers could see through it instantly. And you're like, why isn't this video doing well? And I'm like, I mean, I'm clearly the one talking about getting the dog in the video. So like first two minutes in the car. Hey, views were down. We got to try. <laughs> <laughs> so... YouTube Shorts, I have a feeling it's going to be huge because people can monetize it. Yep. And YouTube has this new tool where you can like split your long form content into smaller bits for shorts. Yep. How do you pick your parts? Is it like analytical? Do you look at like the parts in a long video that has the highest like spikes and view duration or is it just like gut? Uh, we haven't really used that. We haven't used that tool yet or haven't uh, tried it really. Mm-hmm. I think from from our end, we would rather really highly cu- curate the short form content than maybe splice it from a video, mm-hmm. or at least it's my initial thoughts. Mm-hmm. Our biggest thing when looking at it is the title needs to be short and sweet that when someone scrolls, they can instantly see the title and be into the video. And then it needs to be instantly gripping and instantly get someone to want to stay tuned into the end. So there's no dead air, punchy, a lot of, you know, a lot of dopamine hits, for the viewer because you're as easy as a scroll or as you know you know we all use tiktok or those those you know those algorithm based services like eh you know i'll i'll be watching someone cook something on tiktok and it's just a little bit too long and i'm like i don't give a shit to see how this rice dish finishes out so we try to make it where it's like hit 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 so there's there's no way you can tune out, and that's part of only uploading our cream of the crop. You know, I'd rather upload one short that gets a million views than twenty shorts that get fifty views, if that makes sense, uh, or fifty k views. So, um, or let me let me let me change that. I'd rather post three shorts that get a million views each than twenty shorts that get fifty to a hundred k views. And that all comes down to like the quality that we're uploading. So I think we've uploaded four shorts on my second channel. Even after this, I go home and I'm going to film three React videos and two shorts. And the whole idea behind the shorts is that they need to be watched to the end, have a high average view percentage from an audience and be something that is immediately gripping. Mm -hmm. So how does being a YouTube streamer impact your YouTube channels and also, can you dive into a little bit what these so-called like streaming wars and streaming contract wars were? Because Jack was one of the first Twitch streamers to go over to YouTube full-time. So how has that impacted how you've had to think about things? It's a great question. There's so much difference between the different streaming platforms and Twitch, Facebook, YouTube, at the time Mixer when it was around. I think for my end, I was always so bullish on YouTube and still am. That when I had the opportunity to be paid to go to YouTube, change my family's life, my life, but then also anchor myself with what is the biggest video platform in the world and help grow their streaming division. To me, it just made a lot of sense and it was very much one of those risk moments, but a calculated risk moment. And taking that leap, I already had 2.1 million subscribers on YouTube when I switched. So for me, when I joined, I began to see quickly that it was just a lot putting daily videos up 
on the same channel that I'm streaming on. You only get three notifications every 24 hours. We were like, all right, don't post the video for another 30 minutes so we can get another notification back so then it can be shared. And YouTube has changed so much in those three years that even just this week now, when you go to someone's channel page, it shows home where it shows what you want to show. Then there's videos, then shorts, then live. So now it'll split, break out your different forms of content, which that wasn't there when I moved. There was no differentiating. Hell, there was no shorts. So over that time, we've done things like unlisting every one of our live streams to only have the videos on the landing page. We've stopped uploading on the main channel versus creating new channels to create that content for. I think our strategy moving forward is going to be putting short form content on my streaming channel, which is my main channel that ties in directly with the game I'm streaming at that time to hopefully incentivize viewers to go watch and then use my other channels like more courage and courage reacts to continue to dive into gaming content for more courage and react content for courage reacts. Did it affect your viewership moving from one streaming platform to another? Yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely had ups and downs. YouTube is absolutely more of a trending based platform in my opinion. When there's a trending game, there's no better place to stream than YouTube. But when there's not a trending game, at times it can feel a bit more slow than I would say on Twitch. For me, I've been very blessed where my community has shown support that I think on Twitch, my most viewed average concurrent month was like maybe 9,000 viewers. And I've broken that a couple times on YouTube. But I've always hung right around a four to... 8,000 concurrent viewer average. Um, and five years into this, I'm blessed to still be doing that. So uh, do I have goals of continuing to grow? Absolutely. Do I want to be the biggest creator in the world? Absolutely not. I always want to have my freedom to go and do what I want. You know, we're discussing going to Japan for my birthday. This year, I don't want to be in a spot where 60 employees are relying on me, things like that. I like to keep it, small, contained, reasonable, and something where if views go up and down, I'm not like, oh my gosh, I have 25 people relying on me. It's like, no, my business is going to be successful even if things go down by 50%. You know, I don't have to worry about letting people go or this or that. It's more just keeping that small, driven, contained team is, is, my, is my goal. So when you moved to YouTube, YouTube only brought over a few people because they also tried to incentivize um, core gaming YouTubers to become streamers. Yep. We talked about it at dinner a little bit last night, but why do you think that failed? Because for streamers, like XQC is live for 300 hours, hours a, month. a month on average, and that's like even a low month for him. But these gaming creators couldn't even do their like contracted 50 a month yeah prior to youtube bringing over traditional streamers from twitch they had done first deals for the most part with myself and valkyrie and then they're already existing youtubers to try to stream on the platform to give a bit more context to a lead and a lot of those deals were i think around like 50 hours a month maybe a little bit less, which an average work week for someone's 40 hours. It's like 50 hours in a month isn't too bad. But it began to set in, I think, for a lot of them that they're so used to being as big of creators as they are because their videos are edited to perfection. They're all very controlled 
where live streaming is very not controlled. And there's a lot more moments where it's negative than you might think because you die three games in a row off spawn in Fortnite. Now your methods in the dump. You get stream sniped. Someone sends a bad message. You know, a new one we're dealing with is Call of Duty lobbies can be very toxic. You know, there's a lot of fun, friendly banter, but you'll be friendly banter, friendly banter, friendly banter, and then boom, someone says the most egregious slur, and you're like, you know, you apologize to your stream. You know, you're like, wow, I'm so sorry that happened. You know, you're trying to block and report the guy. I try to get everyone banned that does that, but it like still pisses me off because I'm like, we were having such good banter back and forth and trash talk, and now you have to say this. So I've gotten used to rolling with the punches, but I think for a lot of traditional YouTubers, it was like, this isn't really for me. So now the most recent go around, they've brought over many traditional streamers. And I think that those that play the YouTube game well and, you know, try to get their thumbnails set the right way and be consistent with what the con the, the content they're putting out, they've seen a lot of success on YouTube. So I'm excited because YouTube still has so much room for improvement, which they know and they keep improving. And they've made so many strides that now I think if you're a zero viewer creator who wants to start streaming, I don't see how you can go to Twitch versus YouTube with YouTube having shorts, which is the best way to get discovered. YouTube having the ability to post long form content on there and monetize that well, but then also stream there too. There's no better place to be a creator than YouTube. And I fully believe that. Do you have any advice for us launching our podcast? Yeah, I was waiting for the... I was going to ask, but also yeah. unsolicited feedback for when this video wrapped. Um, <laughs> podcast advice. Well, we've done about 80 episodes of the Courage and Shot show. And I think where we've seen a lot of success is being consistent with our episodes. I would. Uh, my goal has always been to set reasonable goals. And like, I don't love, for me, and I know how busy you are, that I would say do not make the expectation to your audience that it'll be weekly videos you'll burn out it's too much especially for you guys where this is not going to be your main source of income for what i expect to be a while like that's just a reasonable expectation um you know you, you've got to be willing to stick with it i think it's important for you guys to one of the things that can be a bit frustrating for courage and aid shot show is that we've always been guest focused and while that is great, it can also be a bit rough to always be so guest reliant. You know, you're not always going to get the big guest. You're going to get to a point where you've gone through your Rolodex of people and you're like, all right, who, who do we bring on next? That I would challenge you guys to have more solo episodes and find things to talk about that would be of interest to your audience without having... Uh, an idiot like me on here. Um, and then at the end of it, you know, you, you just got to have fun and make it about what you're interested in. So Courage and Nate Chacho has kind of always changed around. We've been in a bit of a hiatus in the last eight months because so much has changed in the three years that we've done the show, three and a half years now. You know, Nate Shot went from Nate Shot and I both went from being single to now being in long-term relationships. They're now engaged. Matt and Haley, they're start beginning to look at wedding venues and hundred thieves has grown so much more. And I've changed so much as a creator that 
you know, I think our audience has felt a little bit frustrated and I know why, because we haven't been as on top of our game. So I'm actually filming two episodes tomorrow. Excited for that. Um, I'll do four episodes. I'll do, I did a science podcast yesterday, this podcast today, two Courage and Eight Shot Shows tomorrow. And then I'm on a podcast break for a bit. Booked and busy. Booked and busy. Come on now. What's You're 100 Thieves? Oh, wow. I thought we were like winding down the podcast. And now you just, <laughs> I would say uh, when the podcast is moving towards the end, maybe you don't open a, maybe that's a part hey, two. No, I'm kidding. Hey, I'm no, we have time left. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. We have actually a lot of time left. So I'm, oh. I'm keeping this rolling. Oh, shit. Oh, my bad. Um, I would say 100 Thieves is the cultural center of gaming. It is an esports apparel and content organization with a focus on pushing the industry forward, in my opinion, being open to anybody to be a fan of, feel represented in, to see us trying things like a keyboard company that high ground as part of 100 Thieves, an energy drink in Juvie, creating our own video game. I've been very blessed to be given a co-ownership stake from Nadeshot, one of my best friends and um, fellow content creators. And uh, now it's absolutely massive. When I joined, I would argue that I was bigger than 100 Thieves. You know, we gained, the channel gained 90,000 subscribers the week I joined and was still to this day one of the most viewed long form video months we've ever had. But now 100 Thieves is way, way bigger than I am. And that's a great honor. And I, I love to see the success that it's had. So, uh, you know, for me, 100 Thieves is the thing that gets me most excited about the people I work with outside of my own business. So uh, it's a lot of fun. Now I have some questions for yeah. you too. Yeah. How'd y'all meet? Oh, the Maddie and Jack segment. The Maddie oh, and Jack wow. segment. Uh, Christian Mingle. No, I'm kidding. Um, I mean, you can... I mean, so my roommate was one of the founding employees or founding members of 100 Thieves. His mm -hmm. name's Jackson Dahl. We'll definitely have him on sometime. Um, he used to play video games all day and I would make fun of him. I'd be like, what are you doing with your life? Literally nothing. <laughs> and <laughs> and he'd be, be playing League of Legends and League of Legends just had their world championship and Jack's looking and watching while we're at dinner. And I'm like, at some point, I couldn't see the screen. So I just got on Twitch and started watching it myself, which is just insane to think about because I was making fun of it so much over three years ago. Um, so we were able to just kind of get introduced through Jackson, through our mutual friend. And we started hanging out. We were in the same friend group. And it just kind of naturally went from there. And yep. now I am a League of Legends supporter. Can't say I know that much about the game, but I can tell who's winning. There you go. It's a and, great breakdown. Yeah. And I feel like you entered probably such a different world from where you were before. I used to hate vloggers. I used to hate social media influencers. <laughs> what was that transition like? Was, was there anything hard having a boyfriend in the spotlight? Um, It wasn't hard. Luckily, Jack's fans and community doesn't suck. Um. As we've seen with like Brooke on the podcast, her boyfriend's viewers have, they're a little bit more toxic. 
like he fosters a little bit of a more toxic environment it's not that he chooses to but it's just the nature of like what he streams and how much he streams um so that is one of my questions for you like what is advice to make your community not suck because like obviously i go through some shit like just being a woman on the internet is never going to be glamorous but it's not nearly to the extent that some other women or people that are girlfriends have to go through. You know, I don't really read comments on other social medias at this point. There's people that are like, I read every YouTube comment. I read this. It's like, no, I read a portion of them. But at this point, I feel like a lot of times comments almost in sections now filter to the bottom when they're toxic. So it's like you kind of read the what the cream of the crop is at the top and then the rest fall the wayside. But the beautiful thing about streaming is because there's moderators actively in the stream and someone's too toxic or close-minded or um, harmful to others in the chat, they're just banned and they're gone. And I think that I kind of had a no tolerance approach towards it. I don't got time for the negativity. I don't need it in my life. So for me, I try to look internally a lot and see one of the most valuable things I'd learned was was about energy givers versus takers. And I try to look internally and be like, is this giving, am I giving energy to the people around me through how I'm being? Or am I like taking energy away through how I'm being? And I think we've approached that towards our chat. Like, are these negative people taking away from the positive or the vibe of the stream versus, you know, adding good light to it and we just tried to foster and bring in as many people that provided good light versus negative energy and uh, that really helped build a community that knew the boundaries that i had set thankfully i don't have really any the verbiage that's used as kind of parasocial viewers which are viewers that i don't really want i don't want them thinking that i'm not capable of being an adult and like keeping track of every little thing that i do which i think a lot of streamers and creators have for me it's like i'm very grateful for the audience that i have and i'm very grateful that they give me space and 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 know that it helps me be a better version of myself when i am able to be jack or courage on camera but then go and be jack off camera um which is great and they're pretty respectful um but this past week so Brooke, who is on, obviously has those absolutely insane stalkers, and they're looking for dirt for her about her to prove that she's cheating on her boyfriend, and which is obviously not happening. It's not happening. Like they they think that she is just cheating in like broad daylight with her peers. Like that that they're they're convinced, or they're convinced that if Walid came over, they would think that she's cheating with Walid. And And I don't play for that team. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) So like literally any man. And I just happened to be sitting on our other gay friend's lap. His name is Austin Cho. Very, very, very openly gay. But it's just we're in an Instagram story for less than a second because I instantly went to like go look. But you just see the back of my head and some guy's head. And it's in the background for a second. And Brooke's stalkers are like, hey, we're looking for dirt on Brooke. But Jack, you've got to see this. Your girl is sitting on another guy's lap. Maddie's cheating on you, this and that. And it's just like, 
blow up his mentions. All of these crazy people are just spamming. Anything I post, they're now spamming to try to make Jack see this. And luckily, your fans don't do that. Yeah, it's uh, it's pretty insane. Um, I just... My face wasn't even the video. It was just the back of my head. So I think they literally knew from my hair. They're yeah. weirdos. And they're not my stalkers. It's pretty nuts what, what uh, the internet can do. But thankfully, that's pretty far and few between for what we have to deal with. So mm -hmm. I'm very blessed with that. Yeah. I never take it for granted um, that there's been very few run-ins with those things. And I also don't like to talk about it too much because I don't like to bring any light to it. Like, I don't even need them to know that they've impacted me. I don't engage with any of it or that I've even seen it. Let's move on. You out know? of sight, out of mind. Yeah. It's absolutely, it's absolutely true in my opinion. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. I have my Twitter mentions set for the most part. So, like, I can only see people that I follow. So, all of it is noise. But yep. I thought it was hilarious. I was kind of there for the drama. <sighs> I can't believe Austin Shaw, one of my best friends who's very openly gay would cheat on me with Maddie, but here we are. And like that video was probably taken moments after I kept falling off of his lap and he said, I don't know how to hold a woman. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so funny. Do you have any other questions? I don't. This was very fun though. Very interesting. Any I learned a lot. tips you would give to people trying to become a streamer besides just be don't. loud? No, I give my same tips always. <laughs> When people ask me what it takes to get started, I've kind of always given the same answer, which has changed a bit over the years, but it's be consistent. Big part of streaming is being consistent, your audience knowing when to find you and where they can find you. Be unique. Don't just show gameplay. People can watch, you know, it, it, don't just think you can turn your stream on and show just like generic gameplay without having personality in it and standing out from the others. Give people a reason to watch. For example, right now, my audience is coming and tuning in a bit more and more each time because I'm chasing and going after the hardest camo in the new Call of Duty game, which takes a long time to get. And they're watching me on my journey, day in and day out, go and move towards this crazy goal. Um, collaborate with others. You guys are already doing that on the podcasts. For me, in streaming, it's playing with other streamers finding people in my community that can go and watch those streamers when I'm offline and vice versa. They watch me when that other streamer is offline. And I think my fifth and sixth one would be be lucky. Part of it is getting lucky. So hopefully you get lucky. And then the new one that I've added in the last year is, or two years is you got to be up on, you got to be uploading your best moments on, on TikTok and now shorts and reels. It's the number one way to get discovered. It's never been done. It's never happened before. Uh, on, on the internet where there's like a better chance of being discovered at no viewers. Don't get me wrong. The viewers and the followers you get on those platforms are absolutely less uh, sticky, if that's the way to put it. You know, you'll see many times if someone with 10 million followers on TikTok will go live and have 100 viewers on, on Twitch and you're like, what, 10 million to 100? But just how it is. Short form viewers are less engaged with your stuff as long form viewers can be. So trying to transition those long, those short form viewers into even just a few long form viewers can go a long way. So those are my tips. Thank you guys for having me. This was a lot of fun. Sorry I talked so much. And What's the point? Hey, well, I hope I did a good enough job. 
But we'll maybe invite you back. I guess we'll see. And trust me, Willie and I can have our own show. So, uh, no, this was a lot of fun. Congratulations on filming all the episodes. And uh, thank you for having me. Thank, thank you. you. We'll see you guys next time. Peace.